Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity to get to be with you. Thankful for another opportunity to study and look into the Word of God. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we left off last time. Uh, we've seen Baal's prophets, and they pray and cry and cut themselves and make a big show, um, calling on Baal to send fire and devour the sacrifice on top of Mount Carmel, realizing that the big show and the big racket, that's not always the Lord. And I say most of the time, it's not the Lord. <clears throat> it's not about the show. It's not about the sound. It's not about the actions. And I'm afraid a lot of times that's what gets uh, people get hung up on is how loud a man is or uh, how much he moves around or how much how loud that he claps his hands or how many times he does. And all of those things, um, that, that does not mean that the Lord is in it. Here, Baal's prophets, they make a great show in the flesh and uh, there's no answer or response from God. What's important is the Holy Ghost of God. And if a man's not got the Holy Ghost, if he's not filled with the Holy Ghost, he's not led of the Holy Ghost, then certainly it's not of God, no matter what that they do. And there was no answer. And finally, at the time of the evening sacrifice, they give up. And Elijah began to repair the altar and set things back in order as they ought to be for him to call on God for an answer. And we left off last time, I believe, in about verse 32. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. So Elijah has repaired the altar, and now he begins to lay the wood in order. And I find it uh, interesting, the, the word that's used there, the order of the wood, and certainly uh, God has an order and a, a way that he intends for all things to be done. In Leviticus, they were uh, laying out the tabernacle and the way that the tabernacle was going to be set up. And there was to be a table of shoe bread in the tabernacle. And this is what the Bible says. This is Leviticus 24, verse number 5. Thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof, and two-tenth deals shall be one cake. Thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons. They shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. So in Leviticus, in the layout of the uh, tabernacle, there was certainly a, a layout that God intended for the tabernacle to be set up just like this. And it got down to the finest details of the table of shewbread it's going to have 12 cakes of bread on it, 
And God has a specific order that he wants the bread to be put on the table. And the priests are to lay it in order each time. And here, Elijah is preparing a sacrifice to offer unto God. And he's laying the wood. He's not just throwing the wood, but he's laying it in order on the altar so that this uh, sacrifice could be acceptable to the Lord. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, verse number 30. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 30. And if anything be revealed to another that setteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And if you skip on down to the last verse of this chapter, verse number 40, let all things be done decently and in order. So Paul here, the Holy Ghost, through Paul, is laying out the doctrine of how the church should operate in service. And God, not the author of confusion, is not going to lead a service to be a mess and a racket that nothing's truly understandable. And, you know, many of us are sheltered in our church. We're blessed to be in a place where things are decent and in order. But if you've ever done any traveling, you've probably seen services like this when the preacher's trying to preach, when the teacher's trying to teach, and you've continually got a loud racket going on through the, through the church house of amen and hollering and shouting, and it's to the place that what's going on is distracting and taking away from the preaching. It's distracting and taking away from the teaching or the testimony, and it's a confusion. Well, God is not the author of confusion. God has an order for his service to be. And if you're going to testify, then everybody else ought to be quiet as you testify so that everybody in the house can hear and everybody can learn. When the preacher's preaching, everybody in the house ought to be quiet so that everybody can hear and everybody can learn. Uh, all things be done decently and in order. And the reason for this is so that uh, all can learn, so that it's not a confusion, so that there's not so much going on that it's distracting to others, but that it might be led of God and that everyone might profit from what's going on in the service. We certainly need the Lord's help in our service. And God said this is the way that the services were to be carried out decently and in order and in a means that it's not confusion, that it's not a loud noise with no substance, that it's not something that's distracting or taking away from the service, but that all can hear, all can learn without distraction. What a shame it would be for preaching to be going on and what I'm doing is taking somebody's attention off the preacher, off the gospel, and putting it on me. I, I'm afraid that a lot of times that's what people want is attention, recognition, others to look at them, but that's not the way that God set up the service 
All things are to be done decently and in order. And again, now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't testify. I'm not saying that you can't say amen. But we ought to be careful as to what we do and what we say in the service. And when we testify, we ought to testify decently and in order and under the leadership of the Spirit. And it ought to be in a means that we're not distracting from the service and from the worship of Almighty God. Elijah here, he's laying the wood in order and cuts the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. None of this is done haphazard. There's great care being took by Elijah here to set things in order as it ought to be laid. The wood laid in order. The bullock, he's not just tossing it on there any old way. He's cutting it up and he's laying it out in order before the Lord that the Lord might accept that. And you know, we, we desire and we want the Lord to accept our worship and approve it by the Spirit of God. Well, we're going to have to do things God's way if God is going to accept it. So he's laying the bullet on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water. So I don't know, I, I have no idea how large that these barrels were. We know that the trench was significant. It was enough to hold two measures of seed. And I'm sorry, I don't know how much that is either. But we know that these four barrels are filled with water. And you know, we say, well, it was a time of great drought. Well, the sea was reasonably close to Mount Carmel. That may have been where they went. There may have been a spring there that still had some water. I'm not sure where the water came from, but there was water nearby somewhere. And they draw the water out and they pour four barrels on the wood, the Bible says, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. So again, if you look back, this altar was built with 12 stones, and that was a type and shadow of the uh, nation of Israel, the tribes of Jacob that God had blessed and gave promise of a Messiah to come through the lineage of Jacob. So there was a picture and a type and a shadow. Though the kingdom was divided, yet all of Israel still belonged to God. And that was the picture and shadow of the 12 stones. Well, here there's going to be 12 full barrels of water poured upon this sacrifice. And, and so that the wood is going to be wet, the sacrifice is going to be wet, and the trench around the altar, the Bible says the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. So that all of this is going to be wet, the trench is going to be filled. So you talk about making things impossible, and we talked about this last time as Elijah dug these trenches that were made and intended to hold water. In John chapter 9, verse number 30, this is what the Bible says, The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, it is not heard, 
that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. So I think you can see how these two scriptures align together now. Elijah, by having 12 barrels of water poured on the wood, on the sacrifice, and in the trench round about the altar, he's taking away any excuse that the prophets of Baal could have. And we know the nature of man. Uh, they said of Jesus when he was here, they couldn't deny the miracles. They couldn't deny that he was casting out devils. They couldn't deny that as this man that was born blind here in John chapter 9 had received his sight, his parents testified that we know he was born blind and he's been blind his whole life, but we don't know how he sees. They couldn't deny that the man could see now by the miracle of God. But you know, they said why he's working and he's casting out devils, and he's working these miracles by the power of Beelzebub. They had to have an excuse there that was in place that they could place and explain away the work of the Lord Jesus to try to discount him and cast him to the side. Well, Elijah here is taking away any place that the prophets of Baal have of accusing or uh, uh, saying that he done it by some underhanded means. Elijah was clear that there was to be no fire put under the altar. And Elijah, as he worked on this altar, he called the people near to watch as he done this work. He put it together and they didn't see any fire that Elijah had put there. But just to take it a little farther, because, you know, still the prophets of Baal could say, well, he done this and you didn't see him do it. To try to explain away the miracle, here God's going to take even that opportunity away and he's going to put water in such a sense that if there was any fire that Elijah had hid in there, if there was anything Elijah had put under there that would ignite, well, now it's underwater. It's wet. Now the wood is wet. And any likelihood of that catching a blaze is now taken away. It's not going to be by the works of man. The Lord Jesus here, here's a man born blind that the Lord gives him his sight, a miracle that to this point and place had never happened before in the history of the world. And the man says, look, he has to be of God. For him to be able to work such a miracle, this has to be the hand of God that has accomplished it. Well, there is where Elijah is bringing man to. He's bringing him to a place that without question, this must be God that's going to burn and answer the call and the prayer of Elijah. In Romans chapter 1, this is what he says, verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So here's a man, Jesus, that came, that lived. History cannot deny that he lived. And that he died, he was crucified and died and gave his life. 
History cannot deny that he died. They know he died. They know they buried him. They know the account of the Bible from his birth and the time of his birth until his death and laying in the tomb. We know that that account is accurate. History bears record with that. But the account of the word of God says that the Lord Jesus raised from the dead, that his resurrection from the dead declared him to be as the Son of God, not uh, by word of mouth, not by bold claims of his apostles, but the power of God. God is the only one that's able to bring a man that not only died, but that died such a brutal death that heart was pierced with a spear. God, the only means that's able to raise a man in that condition out of the dead, he was declared to be the Son of God. So that leaves man with two places. Either he arose and he is the Son of God, or the account of the Bible is false. And he was not the Son of God, and he did not resurrect. You can't have it in the middle. If he resurrected, then how can you claim that he's anything other than the Son of God? There is no other claim. He proved it beyond any question and beyond any reasonable doubt, and that's what's required in our courtrooms today. Well, he proved it beyond any reasonable doubt by the miracles that he wrought and by his resurrection from the dead that he was indeed the Son of God, and he was declared that with power by his resurrection. And you know, we... We could go over again, I feel like we have several times lately, the eyewitness accounts that we have in the Bible in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said he was seen of above 500 at one time, many of whom are alive today. Well, I realize they're not now, but Paul's writing that to a church, to a people alive at that time, and he's saying you can go find these people you can talk to them, and they'll tell you what they saw. Eyewitnesses, Peter says. He was an eyewitness. John says, we seen him. We handled him. We loved him. The word of life. So he, he was the Son of God, and he was declared to be that with power when he resurrected from the dead. So he's pouring the water out on the altar, to prove that this was going to be a work of God and a work of God alone. So now back in Kings, 1 Kings 18, we'll read 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. That's the end of Elijah's prayer. We just read Elijah's prayer really it's not even two full verses. It's about a verse and a half. It's what Elijah prayed unto God after everything's set in order, everything's prepared. And it came to pass at the time of the offering 
of the evening sacrifice. Now that's important, I believe, for us to see and for us to look at. In the Old Testament days, there was a morning sacrifice, there was an evening sacrifice, a burnt offering made by fire to the Lord. I realize we know about the Day of Atonement. We know about the Passover lamb. We know about the sacrifices that were made <clears throat> uh, during the holy days and the feasts, uh, which we studied just previous to this. But there was a, a, a morning offering and there was an evening offering unto the Lord day by day, and the priest would go in, he would trim the lamps, and he would put incense on the altar. And this incense that went up from that altar of incense in the holy place went up behind the veil and was a sweet savor unto the Lord. And that sweet savor was a picture, a type, and a shadow that I could pray and it would go up with this incense and my prayer would be acceptable unto God. So let's let's look then at a few verses. Exodus, and we got several places to turn here. Exodus chapter 29, verse number 38. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. And with the one lamb a tenth dill of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil, and the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer it even. Thou shalt do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning, according to the drink offering thereof, for a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the table tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So there is God laying out the direction for the daily sacrifices, morning and evening. This was to be done throughout their generations. And again, in Exodus chapter 30, just one chapter over, verse number seven, and Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So we've got morning and evening, We've got the offering of the lamb and we've got the burning of incense in the tabernacle. And these pictures are there of how that our prayer and our requests are made acceptable unto God. That sinners, shortcomers, that people that have failed the word and the law of God, that they could get down and pray and their prayer be acceptable. Well, it's not acceptable by their works because they've sinned, but it is acceptable through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the only way that our prayers are heard. So we can look in a few places also at how this ties in. In Ezra chapter 9, Verse number four, the Bible says, Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel, 
because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I set a stand until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness. Having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord God. So here's Ezra. He's in a place of great heaviness with all of those that also are in great heaviness for the sin and trespass against the Lord. And he waits until the time of the evening sacrifice to get down on his knees and pray unto God, realizing that without the shedding of blood, he cannot have his prayer heard. His prayer is not going to be acceptable unto God without a sacrifice and without the incense. In Psalm 141, verse number 1, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So this time of the evening sacrifice, here David is praying unto God, and he says, let my prayer be acceptable like the incense. Let my hands lift it up as the evening sacrifice. God, accept my prayer just like you do these works. They, they go together. This incense and evening sacrifice and prayer, they all go together and there I am acceptable unto God. Ezra's prayer is going to be acceptable unto God. David's prayer is going to be acceptable unto God because there's been the shedding of blood and the burning of a sacrifice and the, the burning of this sweet-smelling incense going up before the Lord. All of this will allow my prayer to be heard and accepted before the Lord. And we've got more. I, I believe here may be the best example of it. In Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 8, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. So now this was Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. Remember, he was in the priesthood. And he's here executing his office, uh, the, of the priest's office. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So that the time of the incense being burnt on the altar of incense and the time of prayer being synonymous. They, they couldn't pray as they pleased at any time. But when this incense is going up, I can be heard. My prayer can be accepted through this incense. The smell of this incense overcomes the odor of my sin and my prayer is accepted through the offering of this incense. Well, that's the same picture that we have of our prayer today, that we and our prayer and our cry unto the Lord, now it's not an evening sacrifice and it's not a burning of incense, but it's through the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the Spirit of the Holy God that our prayer is acceptable unto the Lord. So our means of acceptance unto God is the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. The incense, the sacrifice uh, that was offered at a time of prayer, that the prayers of the people would be accepted. And 
We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that our prayer might be accepted unto God and it's only through His offering and through His sacrifice that we can pray. In Hebrews 10, verse number 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This sacrifice of Jesus, the the recently slaughtered and resurrected way of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a means and an access unto God that our prayers can be accepted through Him. Thank God for a means to be accepted and to be heard. So this is Elijah as he's praying. At the time of the evening sacrifice, a time when prayer was wont to be made, a time that prayer would be heard by the sacrifice of God. And Elijah, being the great prophet that he was, still is praying at the time of the evening sacrifice. They still had to access God through the mercy of the shedding of blood and the offering of incense. Moses had to have a sacrifice. David had to have a sacrifice. Noah had to have a sacrifice. There's been no access to God outside of the shedding of blood, and there will be none today. There is no access to God today but through the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember this, there's no more offering for sin. There's no more sacrifice to be given. The Lord Jesus once and for all offered himself that we could have access to God, that we could come to God boldly knowing that God will hear us and we can have a a good conscience and full assurance of faith that through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus our prayers can be acceptable unto God. So Elijah now, he starts his prayer Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. So Israel being Jacob after his name change. We know in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord Jesus here is teaching his disciples to pray and what we call the Lord's Prayer. Verse number 9 of Matthew chapter 6, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, the first part of Elijah's prayer is recognizing who this God is and what his authority is and what his place is. The beginning of the Lord Jesus' prayer is our Father which art in heaven, recognizing God for who he is, what he is, and what he's able to do. Because if I'm going to come and pray to a God that's just not able to do anything for me, he's not able to answer, he's not able to hear, then what good is my prayer? And he says as much in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Elijah is coming unto God and addressing him as the God that set all these things in motion, the God that called Abraham out of his home country, the God that chose Isaac to be the one to bear the name and the seed, the one that 
changed Israel and gave him 12 tribes and brought them out of Egypt. He's praying unto the God of heaven and earth and this is not some generic God. He's not praying to God, in air quotes again, God is used as a very loose term today. We'll pray to God, we'll ask God or the man upstairs. And all of those things, they're recognizing a deity that's over them. But who that God is, most of the folks don't know who they're talking about. Elijah knows who he's praying to, and he addresses his prayer to the God that's in the thrones of in the throne of heaven, the God that's ruling and reigning over all things, the God that is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jesus, as he prays, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The mighty God that sitteth in the heavens that all things are under his control. This prayer is addressed specifically to him. And if we don't come to him, if we don't believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder that, of them that diligently seek him, then what are we even doing praying? No, there's, there's a God in heaven. He is one Lord. He is the only Lord. And he is the only place that prayer can be directed and there be an answer. Elijah knew who he was praying to. And if you'll listen, if you'll listen and perk up your ears and hear what people really say, very few know who they're addressing their prayer to. They don't know God and they don't receive an answer. <clears throat> and he says this, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. So he's praying for this, that there might be a revelation to the people of who God truly is. Remember, this is a people that's halt between two opinions. They're crippled between two thoughts, two opinions. They don't know who God really is whether it's Baal and the God of the grove or whether it's the God of Israel and the God that they worship in the temple down at Jerusalem. They don't know. Elijah's praying, God, reveal who you are to these people. I believe that would be an effective prayer that we could pray today. God, would you reveal who you are unto the people that's at the church house? Reveal who you are unto the family that's round about me. Reveal who you truly are unto my friends and co-workers and those around me. Use me to reveal yourself and your power unto them. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we've got a great prophecy, and this is some of my favorite scripture. I know I reference this scripture uh, a lot, but truly a beautiful scripture and a, a wonderful prophecy of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ that was yet to come. And he says in Ezekiel 36 verse 21, but I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whether they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, 
but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whether ye went. So what had they done? Well, here's the nation of Israel that's bearing the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yet they fell into sin, they fell into rebellion, they fell into idolatry, and the honest-to-God truth is they've got this knowledge, they've got this understanding. What they deserve is to be destroyed. <clears throat> you know, that's what we deserved as well. We had rebelled against God. We had rebelled against what we knew to be right. We had done that that was contrary to God's word, and we had done it willingly and knowingly. We deserved nothing but destruction death and damnation from the hand of God. But you know the Lord, for his name's sake and for his glory, he saved us. Well, the Lord's letting it be known here in Ezekiel, it's not because you've done some great work and that's why I'm saving you. It's not because you're some high holy person and that's why I'm calling you. <clears throat> it's not because you're smarter or you're wiser or you're greater than anybody else on earth that I'm calling to you. It's that my name that you have sanctified and run down amongst the world, amongst your family, amongst your friends, amongst all those people you know, it's that my name might get the glory that I'm worthy of. God's concerned about his name and his reputation, and he will not let his name be profaned forever. Why was Elijah praying that the name of God would be exalted above Baal and that the people that's here, that the nation of Israel, those northern ten tribes, might know without question who God truly is? There is the nature of this prayer. That's Elijah's desire. And now there's, there's, a, there's another piece of that as well. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Now Elijah had been directed by God through all of this and Elijah was most likely at this time the most hated man in Israel of the king and of Jezebel and of the king's people of the king's house and no doubt by a majority of the Israelites that had suffered so much through this drought, Elijah received all of the blame. Elijah received all of the anger. Elijah received the wrath because of it. But Elijah says this, God prove who you are and let it be known that I've been, I've just been doing what you've told me. I didn't want to see people suffer. I didn't want their animals to starve. I didn't want the land to be ravaged by drought and by famine. I've just been doing and following as you would command me to do. Let it be known that I've been following you this whole time. So Jesus in John chapter 11 Jesus says these words, verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. 
So the Lord Jesus prays and he says, God, I know you always hear me, but I say this so that everybody else can hear and know that you are the one that's in control. That's what Elijah's doing. God let him know that it's more than just me, but that you're the one behind all of this. Though the preacher, and I know we've said this in earlier studies here, of Ahab's wrath towards Elijah. But know this, though the preacher of the church may receive a lot of blame, the one truly behind all of it is the Lord. The Lord's the one directing Elijah. The Lord's the one that's brought a drought. The Lord's the one that's caused the trouble. The Lord's the one that's brought the judgment. And it's because of our sin. So when God answers this prayer, the people are going to know that God is the true God. And they're going to know that Elijah is his servant, that he's ordained and that he's called. So, you know, is should that be the case? Well, if I say that I'm a preacher, and how easy is that to do? How easy is it for anybody to stand up and say, well, I've, I've been called to preach? Well, that's, that's well and good. But now if, if I say that, and God never bears witness to that through the Spirit, you never see the presence of the Holy Ghost in my preaching, then how can you believe what I say when I say I'm a preacher. Paul says in one place that he desires to be uh, preach the gospel to you that I might have fruits there, that you might know that I am an apostle, a man called of God, and I'm God's servant, that the Spirit of God might bear witness through the gospel as to what I am. Don't take my word for it. God, you prove it. That ought to be our desire. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe it because I said it. Look for the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to pray unto God. God, prove that I'm your man. Prove that you've called me through the gospel to the glory and the honor of your name. We'll stop right there, and we'll pick up in Elijah's prayer next time. Thank you for taking the time uh, to listen to us. I hope the word of God could be a help to you. Thank God for all that he's blessed us with, for the wondrous knowledge of his word. We love you. Hope you have a wonderful week. Pray for us.